What up, y'all? This is for all the folks with a smaller e-commerce business. Are you ready to reach a global audience of over a million people? Word. <laughs> this upcoming season of the Empowered Millennials podcast can do exactly that. I have advertising opportunities for you to grow your business, make money with minimal work at a very affordable price. So the link is in the show notes for you to learn more and ways that you can advertise on this podcast. So make sure you fill out the form for more info. I'm your host, Angela Gentile, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. I love that y'all are tapping into this community. It's so comforting to know that there are so many beautiful unicorns busting out of the stable. I'm here for it. And for those of you who are new and tuning in maybe for the first time, welcome. I'm so pumped you're here and joining this wild, weird, unique community of people busting out of the rules confidently claiming their truth and sharing these stories as a reminder of what's possible when you wholeheartedly step outside of the box. So let's stay connected. You have space here to be heard, seen, and valued, and supported. So drop in a little bit more to the community to move your body, energy, and transform your life, and or even work one-on-one -on -one with me to help you dive deeper into some of those limiting beliefs. So check the show notes and listen to the end of this podcast for ways to tap in. And if you're enjoying these convos, you know what to do. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast. So just know that there is support for you to make big, bold, badass unicorn moves. And we can't make moves until we understand our roadblocks, which are probably in the form of some kind of fear, maybe conscious or unconscious. And all those roadblocks of fear stem from and lead to, I guess, the same place, a place that no longer serves you. So today's guest, Anne-Marie Zenzal, is the inspiration you need to truly honor your why, regardless of the norm, status quo, and any fear that comes up with living outside of expectations. Anne-Marie's coming out later in life to the LGBTQIA community is proof that evolving and self-care and living your epic truth has no age limit or timeline. Anne-Marie has a master's of divinity, is a graduate of the Yale Divinity School, an ordained minister, clinically trained chaplain, bereavement counselor, and coming out coach to the LGBTQIA community. She built her coming out business from a side hustle to a coaching cooperative that now earns over six figures a year. She is the host of two podcasts, Coming Out and Beyond, and Queer Business Success. She is currently coaching other queer business owners on clarity, visibility, and branding to create programs for the communities they love. So y'all take some notes, get inspired, and let's welcome Anne-Marie to the pod. Woo, thank you, Angela. I'm so You're excited. welcome. Here. Can, so I got a question for you. Can I be an honorary millennial for the next 45 yes. minutes? Okay, thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes, an honorary millennial who is further down the road and whose story is going to show us that we too can do these things at any point in our life. So you're, of course, honorary for sure. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for being here. I, I'm just so inspired by your story. I love when the internet algorithm like connects people together and I'm so happy that we connected in a Facebook group and you're here to share your story today. Well, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So I think before we get into, you know, what you're doing now in this, you know, community that you're building, 
in the LGBTQIA plus community, I think let's just chat about like your life path prior to coming out. Um, Cause divinity school, there was marriage and kids and, and all of that, that the checking of the boxes is. So yeah, so just chat a little bit about what that was like for you. So um, like a lot of people, um, you know, I had expectations from my family. Uh, so when I was in my twenties, which was a long time ago, uh, the youngest millennial wasn't even born yet. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yes, you were. Yeah. Right? What'd you say? 1980, right? 19, yeah, yeah, yeah. Youngest millennial. So I was like 18 in 1980. I'm going to be, oh no, 16. So I'm going to be very, okay. very uh, uh, upfront about that. So uh, there was expectations to be fulfilled. Um, I was supposed to get married and have children. And um, I also grew up pretty religiously conservative. I grew up Roman Catholic. Um, it, you know, I also grew up in a very chaotic home. Uh, so church and faith provided a lot of um, safety for me because mm -hmm. I knew it was going to happen when I was going to church and, and school and stuff like that. So um, I ended up, there's a lot to my story. And if you want to read the full, full, full uh, biography. I have a book called Authentic Peace. You can find it on Amazon. But what happened is I got married. I got married and I also really wanted children. Now, mm -hmm. before I got married, I really did question whether I was gay or not. Um, but it was 1987, 86. And we were in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. And mm -hmm. the millennials most likely you know, had a lot of sex ed around sex safety, safe sex, all that stuff like that because of the AIDS epidemic. Yes, so yes. It, you know, and so, but I lived through it as a, like a 20 something. And um, it was really scary then. And the rampant homophobia that was going on at that yes. time was mm -hmm. unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And even though I was a lesbian, um, you know, even though I now identify as lesbian, uh, you know, you know, when you hear that message, whether you are, you know, it, you know, being gay is sort of a, like a more global term, you know, so even if you hear those messages, and really, they were directed to the male community of the LGBTQ yeah. community at the time, mm -hmm. you still heard the messages. And what I heard, it wasn't okay to be gay. So right. when I had those thoughts and those feelings, when I was young and found girls attractive and stuff like that, I just sort of put them away. Um, and then life went on, I got married and I'm going to be really honest with you. I didn't think about my sexuality at all when I was raising children. Um, right. Angela and I were speaking before the podcast and I told her I have three millennials, my <laughs> 32, 30 and 27. He's a cuspy. And then I have, I have a Gen Z. So I've been around people that are that age for a really long time. So when I was raising those kids in the 90s, I, I wasn't thinking about my sexuality. Yeah. To get through. I mean, I had a very traditional marriage in the sense is that I um, took care of the kids, even when I was working full time. Um, and, yep. and my husband's job was to raise the majority of the money. I mean, to make the majority of the money, um, which he did very well. Um, but I always felt like there was something missing. Like I, mm -hmm. I the reason why I call my book authentic peace, because it's a play on the word missing peace. Uh, so peace being P-E-A-C-E -E when I talk about authentic peace and P-I-E-C-E -E when I talk Got about it. Yeah. peace. So yeah. I 
just felt like there was something missing. And I, I just couldn't figure out what it was. Because if you looked at me as a statistic, I achieved everything that a white, right. a white, I'm at the, because I'm white, I'm at the top of the power structure by race. Um, and I'm a white woman. I'm married to, I was, you know, married to, I was an upper middle-class white woman. I had four kids that were overachievers. Um, I had a beautiful home. I was a minister in two local churches in my community. I had like checked all the boxes and, you know, dotted all the I's and facilities and I wasn't happy. Right. That right. was everything I was told that I was supposed to be happy as a girl. And and how old were you at this point? Because I think, you know, we're having like this midlife crisis, I'm air quoting a little bit, but it's coming, I think, for various reasons at earlier points in our life, not when we hit this like 45, 50 year old, you know, experience. I think it comes earlier because we're really digesting and taking on a lot of these stories and expectations that were just handed to us in our late teens and 20s. And here we are. It's not working. Well, well, what happens between the ages of 35 and 65, everybody developmentally goes through a period of questioning of who they were told to be versus who they were created to be, which is two <laughs> things. You're told how we're created to be is something very different than how, what we are told to be, uh, you know, conditioning versus authenticity. Um, so I was 42 when all of this questioning started. And now, I, and I didn't come out actually till 50. So mm -hmm. I was down the road very well into life. Um, my children at the time when I came out were 12 to 24. Um, they're now 20 to 32. Um, I, I was married for 27 years okay. and absolutely terrified. Yeah. Because I didn't know how I was going to do all the things I needed to do to be able to embrace my sexuality. And luckily I was pretty, I mean, you know, the thing is, is I've always been a late bloomer. Like I went to divinity school when I was 42. So like my friends have always been 10, 15, 20 years younger mm -hmm. than me. And so um, I knew what I had to, had to do if I ever was going to come out. And I knew that it was gonna be really challenging, especially coming out as someone who's been married 27 years, someone who's got kids, someone who's a minister in a Christian church. I mean, even though I was in like, out of all the coming out I did, the least, the place where there was the least resistance was actually in my religious community because I belong to a very progressive Christian church. Yeah, that's so that interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Problem. I had no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was, all, and it, I was terrified. How am I going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. So what was the catalyst? Like, you know, because you're sort of, you're, you're in this life and you're just sort of going through the motions, right? Like taking care of the kids, trying to stay afloat, knowing that something I don't know, is, is not exactly right. right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the funny thing is, is I was a hospice chaplain for years. So I worked with people who were dying and there is nothing like working with people that are at the end of their life and processing the end of the, the mm their life to reflect upon your own. And I always tell people, people never have regret about the things they've done. They have the regret about the things they didn't do. Me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Let's just like put a pin in that for a second, sit with yeah. that, right? Yeah. So when we're talking about fear today of the things that you're on the precipice of doing or things that we're trying to stuff down and deny, 
you know, like these are the things that need to come up for freedom, for joy, for, for life loving, you know? Absolutely. And so I had a client, um, you know, I don't know if anybody, if your listeners probably, I'm sure you got lots of nurses and doctors that are that yeah. listen to the podcast. And um, so when people sign on to hospice, there's this thing like, you know, people sign on and they're dead the next day. And that's not true at all. A lot of people sign into hospice and um, live for months and months, even sometimes a year or two. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. but it's about the level of care you receive. Right, and, right. Um, so this woman signed on to hospice and she was a lovely um, woman. And she was like, and I got to see her over about eight months. And at the end of eight months, she's getting pissed because she wants to die. <laughs> She's like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm ready to go because she signed on and thought she was going to die. Yeah. Cause it's just like, is today the day? (laughs) Is today? Yeah. It's heavy. That's heavy. Like what that must be like. Yeah. Yeah. It's heavy. Terminal. And so she um, looked at me and said to me, I feel like I've been waiting for something my entire life. And when she said that to me, I, um, like some, it hit the core it hit the core mm. So what happened next is that um, she died a really horrible death in hospice. So I want to assure all your listeners out there, 99.9999% of people die very peaceful deaths in hospice. There was some complications. And so I held her as she died. And so, mm-hmm. um, so uh, then, okay, let's put that aside. Then I was ordained. Um, I finally had gone through a very long ordination process and because I had left one denomination and went to another. And so I was ordained a couple months after that. And my minister says, friends said to me, when you get ordained, don't, ex- don't be surprised if something you not expect happens to you. And so, um, because, because if you believe in God or higher, like a spiritual sort yeah. of Mm-hmm. awakening almost yeah yeah something, you're just something comes out of you at the blue and in the so there's a theory you know there's okay so um god or so there's the religious side or spiritual side where you've got our danger whole self mm-hmm. oh, there's the more logical side in that once your brain is free of achieving this goal you now can think of other th- other things take it as what yeah you so yep. um after I was ordained, I um, told my sister who was up for the ordination said, you know, my ex-husband, my now ex-husband and I, his name was John, aren't doing very well again. And um, I think I need to go back to therapy um, because of course, you know, it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So much internalized. Of- yeah. Yeah. We, um, we had done a lot of couples therapy. We were, we were ba- basically the poster children for couples therapy. And so I went back and I told my therapist about that, the woman that died in hospice, because I had a little bit of PTSD from everything that happened. And she said to me, like a consummate therapist that she was, she said, so Emery, what are you waiting for? What have you been waiting for your whole life? And at that point, um with a ton of thoughts going through me like my life flashed behind before my eyes like someone who was dying I said I think I might be gay and then I started did you say this like with your husband around you or this is like there's another side to that I did actually come out with my husband I don't okay that's too long yeah Uh, he already (laughs) was by the way um my, my husband had found you know I told him I was gay eight years ago, seven, six years ago, um, 
previous to this therapy thing. And um, uh, being the consummate, I said, uh, being the consummate, I said, this is gonna like open up a Pandora's box. And she, being mm. the therapist that she was, she said, it doesn't have to. And I always say, I'm so glad she lied that night. <laughs> did open yeah. up in Pandora's box. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess let's talk about that. What are some of those things that you were afraid of, you know, sort of trickling down, exploding, I guess? (laughs) The number one thing that most people are afraid of when they've been married and have children, whether they're male or female, um, is losing their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really terrified about losing their children, which was something I was very afraid of. Um, they're often terrified about, you know, some people do, so I work with people coming out later in life. People do all kinds of things. Some people stay married in a mixed orientation marriage where one partner is gay, the other is not. Um, I didn't want to live that way. I knew that. I knew that once I, I wanted to come out and be in a full relationship with a woman. Um, so that wasn't an option for me. And like, you know, in in our later in life community, people often like, you know, there's like three things that happen with, with Mm -hmm. husbands, you either, you know, there's this discussion about a threesome because, you know, I mean, that's, that's it. And my, and I actually said to him, John, if I'm going to sleep with a woman, you're not going to be there. I mean, (laughs) I have no interest in, we're just like kiboshing that, like right from the jump, not even. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people practice, they, they might go towards polyamory. Um, Mm -hmm. and some people open up their marriages. What in my experience, people who I find that people who open up their marriages often do that as part of the grieving process of bargaining because yeah. figure out a way to, and I find that, uh, you know, to keep the marriage going. And mm-hmm. so oftentimes men tell, you know, men are okay with like, men always are okay. If, and this is with me, my ex-husband knew I was going to go and explore. Um, and men are often really okay with that, but there's inherent patriarchy and misogyny with that. Yeah. Jealousy. And yeah. yeah no, what I mean, no, no it's because we value women less. Mm. So if your wife is going to go sleep with a woman, it's okay. I see. But I see. if you said to your husband, hey, you know, I'm sort of, I want to think I'm going to go explore another relationship and it's with a man. Do you think any guy would give her permission for that? Right. So it's very like proprietal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just that when you tell your wife she can go explore and she's not straight, She's not coming back most often. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you realize things that you don't realize before, you right. know? Yeah. Right. Interesting. Okay. So I was like trying to take all this in. It's such an interesting story and things that like I would have never, I'm not even married. So I can't even like conceptualize what this would be like. Um, but no, I think it's just really powerful what you're saying here. And when you're in this place where you're like, this is what I have to do how did you get yourself to the point where you had enough confidence, even if maybe you were faking it, to be able to claim this truth, to be able to say, I'm gay, I'm leaving, this is this new life that I am going to pursue? Well, when we're ever making a really huge change or transition in in our lives, there is often what I call the fetal position phase, which (laughs) is like, you know, you have to make this change, but you're terrified. 
And it is really, really normal to have a place of being really, really afraid. And I was, I was like, I knew I had to make some changes. I didn't even know what those changes were going to be yet. I mean, I was still like, oh, you can go and explore phase. Um, I also Googled late in life lesbian and that's what changed everything for me. This was the third time that I tried to come out. And mm. what happened is when I Googled late in life lesbian, I found a Facebook support group and I know you Beautiful. do support groups and I do support groups and that support group changed everything for me because all of a sudden there was a group of women that were talking about only things that I had talked thought about in my head. Yeah. And so it was so unbelievably powerful. So I found community, which is really, really when you really want to yeah. make a big change in your life, it's very important to find community. Absolutely. I say this all the time. When you're the only unicorn in the stable full of horses, of course, you constantly feel othered. And if that can lead to you silencing and self-abandoning over and over and over again in order to please and acquiesce because it's easier for everybody else than it is for you to stand in your truth. So like unicorns unite, man. The power of support groups and finding your tribe is, is monumental in yeah. what you are able to achieve in your life. You know, so can't speak on that enough. So the other thing that I did is I knew that um, I needed to take the next step. So this was like a six month process. Mm -hmm. What happened is I started to meditate every single day. Now I teach meditation. I've been teaching meditation for years. Um, But one of the things about meditation is that you don't have to sit in a Buddha pose on the ground. 100%. What you are into, do it, you know, but... People meditate by walking, by running, by getting out in nature, by my wife loves to kayak, you know, all of the, you know, there's so many different ways to meditate. But what I did is I played a letting go meditation by this lovely English gentleman who had a wonderful accent. (laughs) anymore. Um, But it was 45 minutes long and I would literally roll over in bed and I was sleeping in another room in my home. And I would roll over in my bed and I would put this meditation on about letting go. Mm. Sometimes I'd fall back to sleep. Sometimes I wouldn't. Um, And because I knew I had, I, when you are, when you're afraid, you have to let go. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to move forward. And what, what do you have to let go of? Um, my heteronormative life. Yeah. The life that you've been living the, the way that you feel comfortable Right. And also too, this is all in hindsight. Like I knew I had to let, like at that point it was letting go of my marriage or yes, it was letting go of my marriage of 27 years because I didn't want to be married anymore. And also too, our marriage had a lot of other problems besides me being gay. Um, A lot of times when a gay person comes out in a marriage, like all the problems in marriage are placed firmly on the gay person's shoulders. But a lot of times there's other problems too. That's why I joke that we were the poster children (laughs) for marriage therapy. Um, And that's what happened to me. Um, but But I also know that if I wasn't gay, I probably wouldn't have left that marriage. Because we had a, mm. we had an amazing friendship. We were really good friends. We had four kids that we both loved very, very much. We left. We lived what a lot of heteronormative uh, couples do is they sort of live their separate lives and get together for dinner once a week, or or go yeah. out for a drink, or you know, or or sleep in the same bed together, or something like that. But we had a really great friendship based on our children, based on the mutual love we both had for our kids. Right, and right, so right. So I wasn't gay. 
even though I wasn't super happy in the marriage and how he was as a human being, um, I probably would have stayed. It was like my, and a lot of times with my clients, when I work with my clients, they tell me about these horrible marriage, like really horrible marriages. And I'm always like, it's such a gift you're gay because it makes you, (laughs) you know, you want to go explore that. You want to go see what that is. You want to go. And like, for me, I had never slept with a woman before. A lot of my clients have relationships in high school and college and stuff like that. So they've slept with girls and like, or I only Mm -hmm. work with women. So that's why I'm using female language. Um, And they've slept with girls before and stuff like that, but I had not. And so like, I came out with have never slept with anybody or anything like that. And so I knew that because of my hospice work that if I didn't go and explore this, yeah. I, I would have had a huge regret at the end of mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I might've had regret that I did go and explore it and it wasn't who I was and I might've been divorced, but you know what? How would you have known? Yeah. You how, know? Would how would you have known? And you yeah. know, a lot of the women that I work with that sleep with girls and stuff, uh, or it's people that sleep with the same gender when they are younger and stuff like that, and then get married, it's often out of family pressure and things like that. And, um, and they, it's like they put a piece of themselves away. And I put yeah. a piece of myself away, too. So, yeah. you know, and so it was this, honestly, it was like, you said it very a moment ago, it's like, I was in my comfort zone. I had to go through my fear zone. And that, yeah. fear, that, that deep fear zone was like six months. Yeah. And, and then there was more fear about other things, but it was much less. Yeah. <laughs> it was that six months of deciding to leave a 27 year marriage that was, you know, ha- we had done a lot of work. So like the last seven years had been relatively peaceful. And built a lifestyle together and built That's a whole true. life together we built a life together and right. um, and um and it but you know I was talking to my oldest daughter the other couple of weeks ago she's 32 and I you know we were talking about everything and I said you know when we there's been some really hard times um and I said but I have even with all of that I have absolutely no regret yeah. about coming yeah. out or about learning about how to face fear in a conscious way because I am now fucking fearless. Courageous. I mean, still have fear is just courageous. Like we do it anyways, like to listen to, because I think the analogy is when we're, when we're faced with this, this rub of, I get to stay comfortable in this life that I know isn't working, but it's the, the torture and the suffering that is familiar to me versus a potential suffering in yeah, the unknown. unknown suffering. Yeah. Yeah. You hit yeah. Because, you know, when we know our own suffering, we're okay. Like it's what, yeah. it's, it's like, like we can control it or something. I don't know. Here's that phrase. It's dysfunctional, but it's my dysfunction. <laughs> so I'm uncomfortable in it. Yep. You know, yep. And that's what happens. And, and, and I know some of your, I think your oldest listeners must be about 43 now mm-hmm. and you are not too old. No, I did this. You're not too old for anything. I think we put these fictitious timelines on ourselves. And I think a lot of what we are, quote, supposed to accomplish in our life ends 
relatively around 32 because we're supposed to go to college. We're supposed to find somebody. We're supposed to get married, buy a house, get a golden retriever, uh, a vacation <laughs> timeshare, and like two kids. And all of this shit happens before we're like 32. And then it's like, nothing else fucking matters. Like there's no more achievement. There's no more celebrations. And even no. if you don't, especially if you don't want those things, like you never get celebrated, but there's so many things in our life to achieve and accomplish. You know what I mean? Well, and also too, what ends up happening is parents end up living through their children's accomplishments. You right. know, and there's of course, business accomplishments and work accomplishments and everything. But I want to say something about the golden retriever. You so when <laughs> Do you I have one? <laughs> When I was dating my wife, when we were first dating, I said, yeah, I said, we had two dogs. They were two, we had two golden retrievers. And she goes, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> I was going to say, of course you did. You know, oh, Bo and Finn, they're the best dogs ever. <laughs> I don't know. You didn't hear that, Noelle. You didn't hear that. She's fine. I'll, I'll die on my Husky Hill, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Golden Retrievers are the ultimate family dogs. They really are. So I know. I just, you know what? Any house that has a dog is like cool with me. You know? Well, I actually felt like I was betraying Theo, who's out in the other room, who's a mutt, who's a total mutt. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I hope he doesn't hear me say that. <laughs> we love you, Theo. Mama loves you. <laughs> I love him to death. <laughs> I, I want to tap in a little bit about, you know, when you make the jump, right? Because we're, we're running up against the edge and we go to the cliff and then we're like, Ooh, too scared. Can't do it. We run back and we just keep getting ourselves in the same pattern, the same routine. And we can do that year after year, decade after decade. Mm -hmm. Right. What was the, the thing like now you've jumped and then what, <laughs> right? I think a lot of people get scared because there is no plan. You just have to trust and jump without a parachute into your life. Well, and that's the thing is that, okay, so I, it's interesting. We use the very same language. I use very similar language and it's, you know, it's like, you're going to jump, you're going to jump off this huge cliff and you know what? It's only two feet down. Yeah. Yeah. It's only two feet down. So this is the thing when we are going to make a major change in our life, there is often no like, you know, like you want to go from A to, to R to Z. And so say you're like thinking about leaving your marriage or you are thinking about changing careers or, you know, you're thinking about making a major move across the, you want to move to Singapore, you know, and you're like, <laughs> I want to move there. Um, the thing is, is that there's net like clarity. <laughs> Clarity isn't like this beeline from point A to point Z. Mm -hmm. It's more like clarity is a great fog and slowly the fog begins Ooh. to roll away. I love and that. What I always say is that, you know, there's an, I'm going to sound like a fortune cookie right now. <laughs> a beginning of a journey starts with, a thousand step journey starts with the beginning, first step. So the really, when you really want to make a great change in your life, you only have to begin. So if you're thinking about divorcing your spouse and you've been with him or her, and you're like, Ugh. instead of relying on your friends 
in your family who often have misinformation bias <laughs> bias that they'll tell you oh don't get divorced go talk to somebody who for example is a lawyer and can tell you what the legal ramifications are in your state lots of women I, and I just work exclusively with women, as I've said mm -hmm. before, but lots of women don't know the laws. And so they mm -hmm. think that they're going to be destitute and broke if they don't stay in this marriage. Because that's um, probably a big fear, too, just if you do take on a lot of that stereotypical roles of partnership where the domestic labor falls on the woman of the relationship and stays home, quits her job, and is the caretaker, there isn't, you know, this financial income yeah. that's happening you know so that could be a really big fear I can I'm, I'm sure that's a really huge fear um if you are or if you want so you know go see somebody like that you know go mm -hmm. see a lawyer talk to somebody so you know like it's not being disloyal to your marriage by doing that it's just getting information just getting information getting information you know it will help you make an informed decision about whether you can do this right now or not or, so I'm going to use divorce as an example because I'm really, I'm really knowledgeable at that. Um, so, or like, you know, you used to be a marketing person or something like that, reaching out and starting to reestablish relationships you've had with people if you haven't worked in a while, um, starting to build your resume up again. Like, if, as long as you're safe and you're not being emotionally, spiritually, physically abused, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can be you can plan yeah. how to leave a relationship in the long run. And also too, you can also go and have therapy with your spouse and see if things improve that way. But the thing is, is that like, you just need to take a first step. You want to move to yeah. Singapore, see how much it costs to live in Singapore. Right. You know, right. do something like, so one of the things I do in my queer business success program, like we just did it this morning because I had my group this morning you know, I had them list out their, like, the, I, I put music on for 10 minutes and put down all their accomplishments in the last month. Yeah. And professional, because one of the things we don't do is we don't, like, we'll celebrate all the stuff we do or for celebrate the things we yeah. do. Yeah. We so, forget. We, we can focus real easily on what's not happening in our life and be hyper fixated on what isn't here, getting into that poor me cycle and find ourselves just trapped over and over again and like almost being a victim of our circumstances in our life, you know, and you have two people right here to remind you that you're in the driver's seat. And that's why this conversation is so powerful, because even though we're scared, even though there's, there's fear, there, there could be struggles and challenges. What is important is that you are taking steps towards what feels right what you are called to, what that vision is, that thing that you just can't deny anymore. And you don't have to go from A to Z. You're you just gotta go from to go. A to B. Just you're gotta go from A to B. And, and what I wanna tell you is you're not gonna go from A to Z. Yeah. You know, what I have found in my work is that, and I work with a lot of people. Okay, so coming out later in life, people are, my youngest clients are 25 and my, oh, okay. oldest, my oldest clients are 75 plus. So yeah. it's a really wide <laughs> age range. And so it's because it's self-defined. You know, what you, how you define later in life is up to you. Mm -hmm. And what I find is that people, um, people often think that they have to have everything figured out. Yeah. And, and they just don't. And there's really good support out there for a lot of different things. 
I really like the coaching field because um, I'm, I come from like a clinical background and um, coaching is about focusing on the here and now yeah. and what's the next steps. Yes, we do some background work, life work, ACO, you know, uh, we do some like adult children of alcoholics stuff. Yeah. Like yep. But when we're knowledgeable about those things, but really a, a really good coach is somebody who, who's had that experience and can really teach you about, okay, this is what you need to do. This is, and like, and also hold the space for where you are right then. Mm. So for yeah. example, so many times, like a woman that like, if you saw her on the street at Angela, you'd be like, oh, she's gay, right? <laughs> she gets on the, and she gets on my screen and she looks so like like she looks like a queer woman but she's still really struggling with her sexuality she does she's married been married for years doesn't know whether mm -hmm. she's straight or anything like that and so as a coach I start out with hey I think you might not you know I start out with this hey I think I might not be straight so what I'm saying is that we start with the least common denominator yeah that you can move forward and yep. it becomes you move very fast after yeah. that yeah. Yeah. Because you have to be able to name the elephant in the room. Right. Or you could name it to tame it so that like you can move through it and that it doesn't control you and suck all of the energy out of it. You're taking again, taking back your power, taking back your energy, your resources from this thing, because it doesn't have the power to control you anymore. You know? Absolutely. And yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, what you're doing now and how this whole experience, you've mentioned it a couple of times with your coaching and stuff. And your whole coming out and later in life has led you to build this amazing community, to have these podcasts and to just, again, be this trailblazer in, an, in, a, in a space for other people who might be experiencing what you went through. So I do a couple of things. So I was calling it a pivot, but it's actually an expansion. So I work with people. Oh, I like that. I like I, that. It's really not a pivot because first of all, I have a great love for the later in life community. And um, I have a love, a huge love for the queer community as well. And so I'm going to continue to work with people who are coming out later in life. So if you identify as female, either trans or non-binary, trans, cis, or someone who is non-binary, who's comfortable in female spaces. Um, I work with people coming out later in life to the queer community. Um, I have two Facebook groups. Um, one of them is Secret Secret, so you can't find it unless you know me. Mm -hmm. um, and so the reason why we keep the Facebook group secret is because when people are in the beginning of this journey, they're often, there's awful, often a lot of shame and guilt. Yep. And sometimes there's safety reasons because they For may sure. Somebody or have parents that will make their lives miserable if they come out. So I have that. And then, as I said, I became fearless when I came out. Um, I was already pretty fearless, but like now I'm like like <laughs> in my bones fearless. Um, I wanted to start a, start working with other people who uh, identify as LGBTQIA or allies, strong allies to the community who want to build something to help the LGBTQIA plus community um, so, or, and so, or the communities that they love so that ultimately we can make the world a better place. And so one of my, one of my um, superpowers is I'm really good with clarity and helping pick your people mm. figure out what they wanna do. And believe it or not, I know a hell of a lot about social media because I have to learn it. 
I like I'm I'm looking yeah. to the day when the next social media platform comes along and I don't have to learn it. Yeah, um, necessity is a great teacher. Oh, you know what I mean? Necessity. I'm, can I tell you something, Angela? Which is really funny. I understand why people like you know uh, I'll be sixty um, next year, and I understand why people just stop doing it because you just don't want to learn anything. <laughs> You know, the people that are like in their 80s or 90s now that never learned how to use a computer, you know, they just tired. They're like, I don't want to. Yeah, I can understand that. As somebody lives with their 94-year-old grandmother, that dog ain't learning any more new tricks, (laughs) y'all. It's just not possible. She is a creature of like indoctrinated habits. So yeah, I get that. I get that. So like I'm looking forward (laughs) to the day when I don't have to learn social media. And then I also do a lot with um, brand branding and, and, um, and visibility um, because you have to be visible for people to find you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and this is the thing, we all have our unique gifts the world needs. And so we have to be comfortable knowing that what I have to offer is needed by somebody in this world. It may not be needed by everybody. Yep. No. Yeah, we're not, not everybody is for everybody, you know? I had a great coach, business coach once who said, there's 8 billion people in the world. That's it. That's and it. So that's, and, and that's another reason why I don't, I don't do a competitive business yeah. program. Like we're just in a group together and, and the women that I work with, they're all women at this point, but now I'll work with guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're a very supportive place for each other. So that's, I started Queer Business Success. It's actually, that's the podcast. What I work, what I, what I name my program is Purposeful Empowerment, um, because I want to empower people to be purposeful in this world so they can, so they can create communities, they can serve the communities they love and ultimately create a more just and peaceful world for all of us. So that's what I want to do. So that's what I'm doing now and expanding to do that. Yeah. And I also want to mention too, I think your superpower is holding space for people, mm-hmm. you know, being able to really like open up and, and be the mo- like a mom, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, yeah, yeah like, like the endearing, like, like I got you, come on in, you know, that's really important because when you're making choices that can overhaul your whole life, yes. it, can be really lonely because you can't take everybody on the journey with you. Not everybody's going to come with you. Not everybody's going to understand, but it doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who are not going to like, hell yeah, support you. You just maybe haven't found them yet. You know, my wife sort of jokes because my wife has been a long time out lesbian for, you know, 30, 40 years. And um, so in the queer community, there's a lot of, unlike the heteronormative community, there's a lot of um, like age ranges, you know, like in the heteronormative community, you tend to hang out with the people that are about the same age as you are. Mm-hmm. You might have mm-hmm. friends from work and stuff like that, but to, or, and people who are going through the same experiences as you. But in the queer community, which I have noticed is that the ages sort of commingle with each other. So my wife and I have a couple friends, we have a couple couple friends that are like women that are like in their thirties, early thirties, you know? Perfect. And, um, um, it's so funny because like one of them, we were at a local bar and one of them comes up and says, um, oh, my lesbian moms. And my wife goes, I have never been called a mom by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, take it back, take, take it back. It back. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, yeah, I, you know what? And a lot of the kids I know down here, and they're in their 30s. Really. My, my daughter laughs at me because I call anybody under 45 a kid. Yeah. Uh, but, well, know, thanks. Appreciate that. That's fine. <laughs> these women that I know, these women, these queer folks that I know down here in Nashville often have lost their families and their community. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm very honored to be the mother figure when they see me and stuff like that. I have no problem with that um, uh, because they need that. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's yeah, a beautiful thing to be loved and supported and seen and validated. And I think everyone just likes knowing that there's a little hand on the back, you know, and a whisper in the ears being like, you got this, you can go yeah. do this. It's okay. And I, it's really nice to see them. Like some of them I met when, you know, when they were like in their late twenties and now they're in their mid thirties and watching them grow as human beings and become super successful and stuff like that. I'm so proud of them. And I'm so proud that yeah. they like, like I come on the journey with them. So that's, and yeah. those are just friends. Those aren't people I work with. Yeah. Listen, intergenerational friendships are so right. important. And, you know, as somebody, you have to have them. yeah. And as somebody who was very involved with my children, like not having like um, people that are um, younger than me around is, I don't like that. And <laughs> having people that are all different ages now I'm really looking forward to becoming a grandma so my daughter better get on it but <laughs> <laughs> no pressure if she's listening yeah <laughs> she all say no. they're good they are on it I think um <laughs> that's great yeah. that's great well we'll send that vibe out for you for I hope so I would like little... maybe by the end of next year okay well we'll stay tuned for that so before we wrap up today, um, I like to close out and, you know, bring a little fun to some of that, you know, really in-depth talk. And we're going to play a game. It's come to the time in our show where we play a game called How Millennial Are You? So as an honorary millennial today, we're taking this very seriously. Points are real. Everything matters. Ready? Okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, really frightened because I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a series of three questions. Um <laughs> There I go. All right. From the 90s and the 2000s. Ready? Easy. We'll start with the easy one. What's Homer Simpson's favorite brand of beer? Oh, Suds or Duds, something. I remember. Uh, close. You're close to the second one you said. Suds, Duds, Duff. I can't remember. Duff. Yeah, it was Duff. Yeah. Close. <laughs> and you're like, I know I see the can. I see the can. I see just the D-U. I don't know what's the other two letters suds that would make i feel like that was something the simpsons yeah suds um okay so this is going to be a numbers game oh no it's the number of consecutive years the buffalo bills lost in the super bowl in the 90s i'm not a sports person so this is doubly i don't know three close four Trust the instincts. Trust the instincts. Yeah, I should have trusted in. I was going to say four. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Is that football? No, I'm just kidding. What did you say? Is that sports ball? (laughs) The football? Great. (laughs) All right. Last question. Let's go. Let's make it count. What was, I think you might know. I don't know. I, I have a good feeling that you'll know this. What was the total number of episodes 
in the TV series Lost. How would I know that? I don't know. I thought maybe you watched it. <laughs> I watched it, but I have no. It was like six seasons, right? Six, five or six seasons, maybe five seasons. 125. So close. 121. Man, I'm pretty smart. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Amory's a genius, everybody. Honorary yes. millennial. We'll give you your we'll give you your trophy. It's in the mail. It's in the mail. Thank you. I need a okay. t-shirt. You need a t-shirt for your podcast. For anybody who's you know, you send the unicorn for all your millennials. And um, for all your non-millennials, you send a shirt that says honorary millennial. Perfect. I'll put that. That's it. Write that down. That's happening. That's speaking happening. Of, speaking of unicorns. Um, so in Nashville, I live in Nashville. There's a thing about how nobody local like lives here anymore. Like people who grew up here. And yeah. my is actually known as a Nashville unicorn because she actually grew up in Nashville. Most people. Are so I, so I she'll get a t-shirt. She'll get a t-shirt. <laughs> unicorn. So, and I'm a she'll get a, I'm a so, Myself. You are, of course you are. I don't know. I don't know if I busted this out before, but uh yeah, it's my little anointing of the unicorn magic wand. Um, okay, Emory. So tell everybody where where they can find you. The easiest place to find me is I'm on a, every major social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Emory Zanzel. Just look for my name. It's A-N-N-E. I have a hyphen and Marie and Zanzel is with a Z. Z-A-N-Z-A-L, and that's my uh, my um, website as well, Anne-Marie Zanzel with no hyphen, because that would hell confuse people, and <laughs> find my two podcasts. Um, if you really want to hear about some really great queer stories, my first one is Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories, and my second one is Queer Business Success, which dives into queer business owners and allies like Angela and the work that they do. Thank you. Thank you. I love this. And y'all, that'll be in the show notes too. So it'll all be there. So you can click the links and any parting words that you want to share with everybody listening. Um, there's nothing to fear, but fear it's mm. very, it's from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, but the only thing that's really scary is fear is just a feeling. That's all it is. It's just a feeling. And feelings only last 90 seconds. So breathe through it, y'all. Mm-hmm. Just breathe through it. You can do whatever and, change you need to make. Yep. You, can do it. you absolutely can. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amory, for being here. It was a pleasure. I loved it. And for everybody listening, you know what to do. Go be epic. And we'll see you soon. Yeah.